Welcome to this episode with Anne-Marie from the Anne-Marie.life podcast. We recorded this in April and she posted this conversation on her um, podcast and I am moved listening to it again and wanted to post it on my podcast because I want as many people as possible to hear about this. Anne-Marie wanted to share a message of hope in a world full of kind of chaos, sadness, stress, all sorts of things for people, and to sort of pay attention to being kinder and gentler to each other. That happens one person at a time, as she will speak to. And I have just completed a series on my Instagram around self-talk. So this just seems very timely to add this to the idea that if we are speaking kindly to ourselves, if we are being good to ourselves, we are so much better equipped to be kind to others and speak well and kindly to others. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Um, Anne-Marie is just a bright light in this world with her spirit and her perspective and the action she takes to really be good to others. And that certainly comes from a place of being kind to herself and treating herself well. So come on in and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning. Welcome again for another conversation. I'm very, very, very thrilled to sit here with you and hear what is happening in your space in this world and what is happening in your mind and heart around all that's happening in the world today. So jump right in. Thank you so much for doing this because it has been on my heart to talk about this subject for two months now. And I really truly wanted you to be the one to be with me on board. And we are so lucky that we have gotten to the point of being able to do this And so it all started two months ago. I was driving in my car and the radio was playing and a newscaster said, there is the exodus of the Ukraines. The people are going to be in the millions. And the only time in history we can compare this to is 1944 when the Balkans came and had to the Germans that were living in the Balkans and all the other nations that didn't were no longer welcome in the Balkans had to leave. So it was 1944, and the amount of people that came out of the Balkans he compared is the only comparison we have today with the leaving of the people of the Ukraine. And I was so impacted by this that I had to literally pull over to the side of the road and stop driving. And as tears were running down my face, I thought, oh my God, how can history be repeating itself? Have we learned nothing from it? And so you people may wonder why am I so impacted by this? Well, it was my people that were walking across the Alps towards Austria and then towards Bavaria. And in 1944, they left at midnight one night and my brother was six weeks old and my sister was like eight. The other sister was 15. 
my oldest brother was 16. And so they all with their family, with their friends, mostly women and children in horse and wagon went into the Alps to flee. <clears throat> Sorry. And the reason they were fleeing was they got notice at 9 p.m. that the Russians would be in town the next morning. And if they wanted to live and not be killed, they had to go. And so my father was home on furlough because he was injured in his left arm. And so he was home. And so he went door to door and asked people to join him on this journey into the Alps, into safety, into hiding. But all of them were coming back, of course. So it was just we're running into safety and we will be back and this won't be very long. And that was the hope and the prayer of these people. And so over 200 people joined him with horse and wagon and minimum supplies. And they started a 3000 plus kilometer journey into Austria. So when you picture the sound of music walking one way, they walked the other way, because after all, they were German people and they wanted to go to Germany to get help and then come back to their farms and their land and all of this. Well, they were never to return. They never saw their house again. They never saw their lands again. However, they lived. And so I was born several years later in Bavaria, and I am the generation that came after the World War II generation that had to flee, that had to run for safety. And those that didn't leave that night in these villages, and they said, Russians are people too. We are going to be okay. Unfortunately, they did not survive. And so, my parents had to live without their neighbors, without their friends, without ever seeing their home again, but with a gratefulness in their heart that they lived, they survived. And so I watched them to somehow try to have a spirit of gratefulness, try to have laughter in their life, but there was this huge black shadow always above them that they never ever could go back and they had to accept that and so I was thinking about all of what's going on today we have an opportunity to change what happened back then we have the opportunity if not even the responsibility that the Ukraine war ends that the people are allowed to go home, that these people can rebuild with our help. And I have very little knowledge about the Ukrainian culture or language or uh, any of it. I have very, very little knowledge about it, except for a few people I know that are Ukrainian. However, I know in my heart that if they can't go back, their children and their children's children will be affected by this. And do we need any more souls that are wounded that live in this world and half-heartedly try to survive? I think this is an opportunity for all of us and a responsibility, like I said, to help 
to stop the insanity. And maybe it's a very, very perfect time to look at communism and to look at the defeating regime of communism, the heartlessness towards the human being. We need kindness in the world. We cannot live without kindness. And above all, there is love and we're all human beings. And the countries that have been literally emptied in the last decade, how about people can go back home? How about we stop the insanity? Because we are all, after all, brothers and sisters in this world, regardless what faith we are, what nationality we are, or what language we speak. Mm. I know that for me, I, I sometimes don't watch the news because you only see the sad, the, the scary, the, those things. And many have said, after these few years of COVID, it's hard to even relate to one another in our community we live in. The isolation has changed us. So what do you say to people on the, like the stepping stones to participating in helping things become different in the world? I think we have to start one person at a time. And so yesterday in church, I had a lady behind me. I asked her a question where the songbooks were and she jumped up and said, Anne-Marie, I will go and get you a songbook. I used to be your client at the European spa and I absolutely have missed you. And I said, thank you so kindly. I mean, her words spoke to me so dearly. And afterwards, after the service was done, she and I literally put our prayers together that France is not going to go the other way and that Emmanuel Macron is going to win the election and realize why so many votes went the other way, that he has to change things and that we need a free world. And so we parted as friends. And she texted me afterwards and she said, you are going to be my new friend if you allow me to. And that kindness put hope and it put so much you know, laughter back in my life. And you're gonna say, how can I laugh about something like this? I think the laughter has left us. We have had a mask on and we don't laugh anymore. We don't smile anymore. We don't joke anymore. And I think by having this liberation of our expressions, of our kindness, and by reach out, you know, each one touch one. Let's start the movement. And by touching one another, by being kind to one another, we can make this. And I know this sounds so much like Reagan said, we need a kinder world just to be kind, put light in someone else's world. And I think we can do that. And that energy is something we are after all, yeah, we are skin and bones, but we are energy. And when we combine energy, there is so much hope there. And if we see hope, we can go, it's a candle that's lit. We can light another candle. And we just had Easter. And that facet of lighting the candle 
and light someone else's candle is so symbolic. So we need to do this on a daily basis and forget about, you know, so what? Things are more expensive now. I'm not trying to make light of that in any way, form or fashion. However, maybe people waste less. I think if we buy just what we need and are more conscientious, this too shall pass. We are going to find ways to get things we can afford. Mm. So I, I really feel that it is not pink glasses I'm looking through. I really feel it is something we can do. And there are so many people my age group that are alive that have heard the stories of World War II that have seen the broken human beings. And so it made me reflect, even in the behavior of my sons, what of that darkness did I give them? And I have even talked to them about it. Hmm. And there is a component of generational trauma or, you know, mm -hmm. it changes the brain chemistry for survival. Mm -hmm. And I think not to blame COVID, but again, COVID happening, our brain chemistry changed because our survival mechanism had to change. The, the way things were, were pulled away from us and the freedoms to interact and show facial expressions and gather, right? So for you, the way you speak of energy between humans and the gathering, how how are you making that happen? And, and what kind of conversations are you having with your boys around this? Well, my youngest son spoke to me about some things he wishes he could change in his behavior. And I explained to him where it potentially came from, mm. that it is something that could potentially come from the way I grew up the always being aware of all of your circumstances, all of your surrounding, being aware that you are utterly vulnerable as a human. And so by sharing this, by talking about, I think it is so important to be open about this and even take responsibility for it. And I feel when it comes to COVID, that too taught us how vulnerable we are. And that's scary. Mm. We all want to look young. We all want to live forever. And I have some huge breakthrough. We are not going to live forever. And we're not going to be young forever. And we have what we have. So the carpe diem living today is and the support of others. And yes, we had COVID. And no, there is very little positivity we can pull out of that experience. I mean, the fact that we have Zoom, we can only celebrate so many minutes. The rest was not good, you know? That tenacity, the resilience, those sorts of things. If someone doesn't believe they have that, how would you speak to them and kind of digging into themselves and finding it? Well, we have to be more understanding and I'm speaking of myself about that. I, several decades ago, a juvenile court was a CASA volunteer. That's a court appointed uh, person 
for a child in their environment, okay? And I was taught in that experience during the debriefing after the court cases that I need to understand that not everybody can get up in the morning and pull up their bootstraps like I can. And these were people that didn't know my past. They didn't know anything about me. However, working in that field, they had picked that up, that I had no understanding for others who couldn't pull themselves up. And I learned in that experience, we have to be compassionate for people who just don't want to walk out of the COVID now, who are so used to it, who somehow want to stay there. And I think it's going to take baby steps. Maybe I give them a loaf of my sourdough bread. I give them a bouquet of daffodil flowers mm. and a little note. And one thing I do lately is send them a video of something that blooms and speak on the video and thank them for being in my life. That has to pick them up. Mm. I think that's better than any medication, alcohol or drugs they could have, the support. And by doing that, I feel it is in giving that we receive. And I see no other way how we get out of this. Right. Human nature to be seen, to be heard, to be held, to belong. That's all part of our, our animal instinct and in survival. Mm -hmm. And you're speaking to this in a way that is starts at self, moves to friends, moves to community, moves to state, country, world, responsibility and response. Yes, and the, there is a song about peace, you know, that peace starts within me and then it grows and it's from there it goes. And again, if our minds go together, if you and I put our minds together and we wish and we hope and we pray for something, it is bound to make a change. And so by reaching out, but do it in a gentle way. We have enough forces right now who are so determined. This is the way it has to be. We need to be kind. And it has to be that way. Mm. So I see, I see hope. I really, truly see hope. I see your passion for this based on your history, based on your current knowledge of life. What is something you're wanting to really have people here today around how we respond to things in the Ukraine and other thing, other circumstances. I mean, you've said a lot, but really, I feel like there's a lot of, you've done a lot of self-reflecting and journey through this. This is compelling to you right now. Yes, indeed. It is very, very close to my heart and soul. Truly, it is so close, even though, again, I don't know many Ukrainian people. I am so number one grateful, thankful, and happy, overjoyed that the Ukrainian people that make it across the border are welcomed by people in Europe. I am so happy that the world has opened up their arms for them. Like I saw on Facebook, 
someone from Berlin giving all of their phone numbers, telling how many people they can take and how many dogs and said, we are 45 minutes away from you. Tell us when you are at the border, we will be there. Whoever wishes to accept this or the man from Amsterdam who comes to the Polish border and holds up a sign and says, two people, three children and two dogs I can take. So those are the news stories we have to concentrate on. We have to be grateful that that is the case because history wasn't like that. When West Germany saw all these Germans coming in from the Balkans, they weren't exactly opening their arms. And unfortunately, as a child, even though I was born in Germany, and I'm not saying that to be in any way insulting to them or upset with them still or anything, but this is a fact that I, as a child, my parents and all the others were called damned refugees. That was the title I was given as a child because I spoke German with a Black Forest dialect and that was spoken in the Balkans. And so the letter R, we rolled. So as a child, I figured out the moment I can control my voice, I will become more acceptable. Mm. So while my brother ran around learning every dialect we arrived at, I learned to speak high German. And so I spoke it exclusively and people would always assume now that I was really a foreigner because I spoke German so well and I didn't have a dialect. So it's hilarious. So today, when I give a tour to German visitors, and what happens is they spend three, four hours trying to figure out where in Germany I came from. They cannot figure it out because they say your speech does not reflect a region. So it is amazing how all of this came around and about. And I feel the fact that they are welcome is just so wonderful. And I'm so glad that they are welcome. However, this also is an opportunity beyond measure that now they know other cultures. I know the way they got tossed out of their land is horrible. This was not the purpose. But just like I am grateful that I learned to speak proper because of what was happening, I feel by them going back and rebuilding, there will be a huge understanding of the world. We can potentially all heal together. They can heal going back home. We can help them rebuild. We also can learn about their culture. And so there is a growth opportunity here, I feel. Mm. There's a theme in you speaking about learning about families when you were working as a CASA worker, right? And that you had to learn not everybody has the same resilience or viewpoint. And you're doing it now again. And I think that's so valuable for all of us to say, I know how I filter 
all of my experiences, but that doesn't mean someone else is going to, to do that the same way. But the willingness to learn, how come you respond that way? How come you feel that way or think that way? That's so valuable. Well, I think I decided as a child not to be literally greeted with cuss words like, you know, in German, it's verdammter Flüchtling. And that word damned is so strong. It's so wow. And as a child, to be, to be openly called that has caused me never, ever, ever to wish to be violent, never, ever to judge people, and never, ever, ever, ever to condemn people. Because that's not my spot. Who do I think that I could do that? And so I look at people who do that today, racism, prejudice, all of this, I feel pity for them because the opportunity to be graceful is just wonderful, wonderful. And my childhood was so interesting because my parents in their own country weren't wanted. When the holidays came, they invited foreigners to their home. And my parents were farmers, so they could grow food at a time when others didn't have much and they shared. And so we would have these huge feast days on holidays. And the people that came spoke other languages, they cooked other food. They had other traditions. Like I remember, you know, the little roasting pig thing that goes on the week after Christmas for a different faith because my parents would celebrate Christmas, but then they would allow them all to come back and celebrate their holiday. And the same with Easter. And my mother, my father spoke many languages, but my mother didn't. But she understood because she had been exposed to it. And she was in the kitchen cooking with all these different people, the French and the white Russians and the this and the that. And it was just amazing because it was like one of those cooking channels you see on TV now. That was my childhood kitchen. And when comparative to the fancy kitchen today, it probably was a very primitive kitchen with a wooden stove, but it was just amazing. And I look at all those experiences with a heart filled with gratitude. Mm. I had those experiences. A lot of people didn't. So yeah, I was custom swore at as a child, but what did they know? I also was in the little village, the only child that ever went on to higher education at age 10. And I wasn't happy about that because now I had to walk to the bus and take the bus to town and on and on. And I thought, why did I pass this test? Couldn't I have just stayed in town? But it opened the world to me. And so that opening the world, that being tossed in all of this, we can be grateful. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. The, the yuck, but then learning to be grateful for the yuck. <laughs> I'm super blessed and glad and happy and grateful 
that you went on to all the next things because it brought you to where you are today. Yes. Mm. Yes. And back then, the people that came, a lot of them worked for the French government because the French, the English, the Americans, and the Russians occupied Germany at that time. And they would have such fabulous candy. And as a German, you were taught when someone offers you candy at that time, you were supposed to say no thank you. And you were supposed to say twice no thank you. And the third time you say, oh, well, I accept. Well, the these people didn't know that. So they put their candy away. So my brother and I looked at each other and said, that's enough of this. They would say, would you like some candy, Anne-Marie? And I would say, yes, please. And I would get this look from my parents, like, how dare you? But you know, you adapt, you learn, and you, I, I just think it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating how, and I love cultures. I love languages, I love cultures, I love different food. I mean, isn't that just a gift beyond measure? Mm. Right, and for, for all who meet you, a gift for them. So I'm gonna take that candy analogy. We should be offering candy to one another and accepting it from one another, whether that comes in a hug, a card, a bouquet of flowers, then yeah, if we were doing those things, we would be making a difference in the world. Yes, indeed. And knowing you is such a blessing. Truly it is. You're so sweet. I, I have all those feels back for you. Such a short time to, to really the connectivity is amazing. I appreciate you. Thank you. So I am sending you virtual candy today. Please have an entire bowl full. Thank you. And... Any last words for the listeners? Because every word you say is so important and I could do this hours and hours and hours. Thank you. I would like to, for everybody that is listening to this, please reflect and give yourself permission to make a difference. Don't say, who am I? Say, why not me? Like that song, who am I, Lord? I mean, step up to the plate and say, I am here. And there was a pediatrician in Canada, and he had this really primitive childlike poster on the wall with flowers. And it said, sing your song, whoever and whatever it may be. And I think that is what we need to do today and every day. Life isn't going to be perfect. No, it's going to go up and down like a yo-yo. But if you got enough of it, take a nap and just get refreshed at it again. Don't take defeat because we are alive. And as long as we're alive, we can do this. Mm. Everyone needs to hear your voice with that encouragement every day. Thank you. Thank you. And I will put it in the notes. People can find you. How? Because they need to listen to everything you have to say. Thank you so kindly. It's annemariepodcast.bussprout.com. 
Thank you, Anne-Marie, for sharing your, your hope for the world, your passion for humanity, and the truth of just taking those moments and making life matter and being kind to one another. Thank you. Thank you.